Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So far, 2018 has been a banner year for the U.S. IPO market, with some unicorns finally going public. But how long will the good times last? For some insights, I am joined by Hillary Gosher, Managing Director at Insight Venture Partners. And Hillary, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. All right, so we have seen a couple of unicorns go public, Dropbox, um, Spotify, yet they're doing this amidst a lot of market volatility. When do you think, at what point, does the market volatility scare away investors in the IPO market? There is a lot of money to be spent, and IPOs are an attractive place to put money. For the institutional investors, uh, especially if you believe in the long-term fundamentals, it's a great long-term hold. And I do think that you have to bifurcate the difference between consumer tech companies and between business-to-business -business or SaaS software-as-a-service companies. The fundamentals there are based very much on the growth of the U.S. economy and the demand for business-to-business -business software. And that continues to be fundamentally sound. On the consumer tech side, which is your Facebooks, your Snapchats, your Twitters, Google, uh, they're much more subject to the vagaries of potential regulation around how personal private data is used. And I think that's where you're seeing folks get scared and a little bit of the volatility. Now, what about companies on the, on the other side of the fence, companies that may decide, you know what? market conditions aren't ripe for me to go public right now. We saw recently Yeti said this. They were supposed to go public, and they said, nope, market conditions aren't right. We're going to go on hold for a little bit. Do you think we might start to see that? It depends on the um, the number of investors that are willing to look for a long-term hold. So long-term, the fundamentals, as I said, are really strong. Um, you know, software-as-a-service businesses uh, have a lot of high-recurring revenue, strong cash flow, and fundamentally, you know, a good long-term holds. I mean, you know, the public companies that have gone, you know, SailPoint is a good one. It went public last year in November, continue to perform very well. Subsequent to that, I think you'll see Dropbox continue to perform very well. So, uh, you know, th there is a lot of volatility, but at the same time, some of those companies need to go out. They need the cash. Now, Spotify didn't seem to need the cash because it went public in an unconventional way using something called a direct listing. First off, explain to folks what that means. What it means is that there was no new offering. So typically you'd get an investment bank, uh, and the investment bank would underwrite the offering, uh, which would mean to raise $100 million or $200 million. As we saw, Dropbox raised $756 million, so one of the largest uh, uh, actual raises. Uh, but with Spotify, they're just taking existing shareholders and allowing those existing shareholders to get some liquidity. And that means some early investors, but it also means some employees who may want to get a little bit of, of liquidity. Uh, the difference there is that um, we don't know what the aftermarket trading is going to be like. There's no investment bank to prop up the stock if there isn't enough demand. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we look forward, the, the Spotify uh, long-term fundamentals, I think, are fundamentally different. They're in a dogfight, mm -hmm. as we know, with Amazon and Apple for streaming music. And Amazon and Apple own the customer in many other ways because we buy, because we buy phones, because we use Amazon Prime. So Amazon wants the whole consumer experience, whereas Spotify, it's just streaming music. Yeah, good point, because those other places that the other companies you mentioned were part of their ecosystem. Spotify doesn't have an ecosystem, so to speak. Um, why do companies, or why would a company choose a direct listing aside from increasing liquidity for shareholders? Are they getting away from, from the big 
fees they would need to pay to, to underwriters? Or from my understanding is Spotify had to pay a, a number of other fees. That's right. In fact, um, they are playing some uh, uh, investment banks to make a market on the morning of the trade. Uh, somebody's got to be there to help drive liquidity in the market. So they're paying those fees. And they've paid other fees as well. Uh, some of the stats show that they're paying up to 4% of the overall listing uh, which is really comparable. They're not really saving money from right. by, by doing this at all. Uh, and in fact, I think they may be putting more uncertainty and doubt into the market uh, just by virtue of the fact that we don't know enough. They've not been on the road show. They've not been forced to answer questions by investors. Uh, there's no long-term investors who are saying, you know, I'm going to hold at this point. So a lot of it is, I think, they're just being similar to what they do with the music. They want to democratize music. They're trying to democratize the IPO and make it available to the man in the street. Do you think that we'll see more companies go the direct listing route? And what would the ramifications be for the IPO market if, if companies were to do that? I don't think we're going to do that. Fundamentally, fund, you know, investment bankers, although we, we, we complain about the fees, they serve a very important purpose. Not only do they make the book, but they also do a lot of due diligence. And by them uh, underwriting the, the deal, they're signaling to the market that they've done due diligence. They've spoken to customers. They've had looked at the audited financials, they wouldn't put their name to it unless they felt like this company had um, a, a strong uh, set of fundamentals. So, uh, you know, Spotify doesn't have that. Uh, and I don't think that anything other than a large consumer tech company with this huge sort of uh, uh, broad-based uh, man-in-the-street interest mm -hmm. would be able to do this. Airbnb potentially, but I think Airbnb, given that they have uh, investors who are uh, more traditional investors and who have a CFO who has come out of the public markets, I think they're more likely to go the traditional route. Do you, do you have a feeling as to when we might ever see Airbnb go, go public? And, and Uber, for that matter, though we know that Uber has been involved in a number of different scandals that may want it to stay on the sidelines a little longer. Yeah, Dara is doing a good job of trying to turn around Uber. I think calm down the brand uh, volatility because there's been, you know, not, not just uh, volatility uh, in terms of the people coming and going, but certainly consumers, myself included, have moved to Lyft because we don't like what Uber stands for. Uh, so I think he's done a very good job of calming the market, trying to manage with the regulators. He's been speaking to the folks in London to make sure that, uh, you know, some of the concerns that the Taxi Driver Association had there are quelled. Uh, so, you know, I think Uber is a, an IPO uh, potential. You know, it's a $73 billion last valuation. That's a really large uh, IPO. So, uh, you know, that's probably 2019. And likewise, Airbnb has said they're more likely 2019. I guess for, for companies with such huge valuations, perhaps part of the fear is when they get to the marketplace and the market decides how much they're worth, they might find out they're, a lot, they're worth a lot less than they thought. Well, initially in the Dropbox trade, that's what happened. So um, although they raised $750 million, the, the point at which they priced was an $8 billion uh, price point, and the the private company valuation had been at $10 billion that's just right. a little bit prior. Subsequently, they've traded up 35%, so they're at $13 billion today. Uh, didn't you know, hurt them too much. It didn't, <laughs> hurt the, didn't hurt them too much. But there was question around uh, these private market valuations being just so high that it's really hard for investors to um, go public and, and, and make the same money. I'm curious because you are uh, the on the inside um, of all of this. What does the IPO pipeline look like for you for the rest of 2018? Yeah. Um it's a strong IPO pipeline, but mostly driven by mid-market uh, software companies. So I don't think you're going to see another Spotify. You're certainly not going to see uh, Uber and Dropbox in this year, or maybe Pinterest. You mean Airbnb in this Airbnb, year, Airbnb, right? sorry, yeah. Right. Um, 
those uh, those are big consumer. They're the ones that everybody on the street knows. A lot of the companies that have filed recently, companies like uh, Zuora, which is software billing, uh, not a sexy business to be in, but an essential business to be in in the in the subscription economy. So uh, you know they're ha- they're they're on file, uh, and I think that you know given their growth rate, which is over thirty uh, percent, they're going to have a really strong uh, uh, debut. Likewise, um, Pivotal Software. Uh, it's really unusual to see a software company that's $500 million or more in revenue come to the markets. Most of the companies we see coming to the market are somewhere between, you know, 75 to 200 million. Pivotal is 500 million. Um, You know, it was a spin out of Dell and EMC. It doesn't hurt that they have access to the army of uh, foot soldiers and salespeople that Dell and EMC has, so it helps their cost of customer acquisition. But it does indicate that the enterprise is moving to this notion of, you know, the holy grail of digital is -hmm. really using Pivotal to build um, applications in the cloud. Uh, and that's what's driving this strong demand. I think you're going to see that as a very strong IPO as well. So you're seeing most of the IPOs uh, of note coming from the tech sector and mid-sized companies at that? Tech sector, very much, and mid-sized tech companies, yeah. I'm curious, though, if Silicon Valley still has its edge. Are a lot of these companies still coming from that part of the country? They're, at the moment, the, the companies that are at scale uh, still are predominantly out of the valley, although Spotify is out of Sweden. Um, you know, uh, Pivotal, however, is out of the valley, as would be Airbnb, as would be Uber. But, uh, you know, when you look at the growth of tech in other cities, London, New York in particular, Austin, Boston, uh, Toronto is becoming a big tech center, Berlin is a big tech center. I think those companies, while they're not at scale yet, you'll start to, in the future to see many more companies coming out of those type of um, headquarters. And what about uh, trends you're seeing for the for the second quarter? Um, Where do you see money flowing into? Where are there opportunities for private equity? Yeah. You have to uh, differentiate between venture capital and private equity, obviously. So VCs are really funding new novel ideas, new technologies that are not quite yet proven. You know, in the industry, we have this notion of product market fit. And in the first couple of years of a business's life, Dropbox being a good example, they're iterating with the product. They're iterating with consumers to to make sure that they get that that delicate balance between huge consumer demand, great usability, strong value proposition, and a go-to-market strategy that can pay for itself, where you're not spending so much money to acquire a customer. Uh, and that's a lot of what goes on in Silicon Valley. You know, if you take a look at Dropbox, uh, uh, you know, the early investors invested in 2005. It's now 2018. For venture capitalists, it takes 13 or more years, like often a lot longer than 10 years for them to get their money out. For private equity, they're investing at a much later stage. And so they get their money out you know, that much more quickly. Mm-hmm. But of course, the returns aren't as high. And where do you see the most opportunities for folks in private equity? So private equity, we're starting to see some of the potential that was five or six years ago talked about in the Valley. So big data plays, data analytics, you know, Insight has a public company, uh, Alteryx, that went public a year ago. In fact, Mm -hmm. they rang the bell on the stock exchange uh, for their one year recently. And, you know, subsequent to going public, they've added 1.5. $1.4 $1.4 billion in market cap, Goodness. which again goes to the really strong fundamentals of software as a service businesses, res- subscription recurring revenue businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to switch uh, gears for a moment and speak about something that's uh, very dear to your heart. You are a founding member and an advisor of something called Parity Partners, um, and it deals with women in the workplace. Why don't you tell us what Parity Partners is and, and what is your mission? 
So thank you. Parity is um, designed to help drive the next generation of women leaders in, in, in the investment industry and in the tech industry. The premise being that um, you know there's many women that enter investment banks. In fact, you know at most of the investment banks these days, 50-50 uh, gender parity between people entering at, at entry levels. But women tend not to stay. And until we can get people through the hump of that mid-30s balance between work, life, family, um, uh, trying to do well at work, trying to be a good uh, parent or spouse, uh, you're, you're likely to see more women or fewer women make it to senior levels. And so Parity is designed to help provide a support network. So women are placed in what we call Parity pods. The pods are sort of learning mm -hmm. circles. Okay. They're networking for networking purposes, but also for mentoring and for helping. And then we have a series of content of things like how to negotiate more effectively, how to take risks, uh, you know, more calculated risks, uh, how to have hard conversations in the workplace, how to deal with unconscious bias, which is something that, you know, in male dominated workplaces we all deal with. Are you also offering support to the employee and how and how they may be able to reach parity in the workplace? We're doing both. So in fact, um, the organizations that are sponsoring their, their women uh, 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 employees to go through the program are very much concerned with how do we uh, create an environment in which women want to stay, enjoy their jobs. Uh, you know, women are fantastic at their jobs, but at some point they throw in the towel when, if the environment's too toxic or if they feel that they can't make the, uh, the work-life balance meet. Uh, but also, a lot of times, women are... Uh, don't have role models. So there's no senior person who is the partner, who is the managing director, who they could look up to and say, oh, that's how I emulate. This is how I, mo I model my behavior. This is how I model my career trajectory. So pairing uh, in the pods the senior women who have exp who have you know achieved uh, leadership with those that are aspiring to is a great way to create those role models, even in small firms who don't have the leaders, but mm -hmm. you can pair with people outside of their firm. But you see that it's possible. Right? It is possible. You see that it's possible. But you also say it's important to create positive male female mentoring relationships, which, you know, on its face in this environment especially sounds kind of sticky. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it, people are concerned. It is, a, men in particular feel like uh, many of them are trying to do be helpful to provide counsel. Uh, but they don't want it, want it to be misconstrued. But they don't want it to be misconstrued. Yeah. But there's lots of ways um, that you could do this without having to go for the coffee, having to go for the beer, you know, uh, uh, workplace meetings where you actively advocate for women. Uh, you know, a really good example is... Um, uh, someone I know is, in a, is, a, is a partner in, a, in a, a very large consulting firm and was recently looking at the new partner nominations. Uh, and the partner nominations are coming through on men and women. And as he was reading uh, the transcripts of you know, people putting forward for this, um, it was very apparent that there's so much bias in the way women are talked about, their accomplishments, their achievements. And that's because it's a lot of men who are writing those, uh, those nominations. So what he's been doing is systematically uh, just making the language neutral. That alone, those kind of male champions of change will do tremendous amounts to foster more women getting to leadership positions. Meaning don't put any pronouns in there. No right. he, no she. Right, but also the way you describe accomplishments. You know, um, men tend to have, you know, taken the hill and conquered, whereas women tend to have built a solid relationship. You know, mm. it's just, uh, there's some unconscious bias in the language. If we can neutralize some of that, it would make a big difference in sort of uh, exploring people, this performance just on its merits. How can people, 
people learn more or, or get involved and, or sign up for Parity Partners? Yeah, uh, if you go to parityprogram.com, uh, there's a, a sign-up sheet. Um, we've got about 500 women signed up. And uh, in fact, in London next week, we're hosting a, uh, an event for women in tech and women in, in venture and private equity. And 90 people have, have raised their hands. Uh, so it just, I think it's not something that's limited to the U.S. I think it's very much a global initiative, a global zeitgeist that we're tapping into, possibly because of the Me Too movement. But I think that is uh, is more indicative than symptomatic. The you know the reality is is that women globally are, are looking to uh, support one another, mentor one another, and help each other reach leadership roles. What are some of what's some of your advice for women who who are in that time period where it's that it's that pedal to the metal struggle time. They're trying to get life work balance. They've got maybe uh, young children at home. They're trying to be the wife going out and working as well. What advice, practical advice could you give them for for succeeding in the workplace? Yeah. Specifically women in venture and private equity, um, you know, there is a really strong support network right now. Reach out to that network. Ask other women what they've done for advice. I'll give you a great example. One of the partners that I was speaking to at a venture firm, a male, said that he and his wife have split up roles and responsibilities and he deals with play dates. Hmm. And he said, for the longest time, when we're organizing play dates for my children, the other mothers or the other parents on the, the uh, email chain didn't include me and left me off. But now they realize I'm the one who does play dates. <laughs> so I think, you know, a lot of it is discussions with your partner around um, what's the appropriate division of labor, um, a discussion about the various constraints you're facing. And the one thing I'd say to women is don't try to be the superhero. Uh, it's okay to buy bought cakes at the store you don't have to bake cakes yourself <laughs> or cookies or whatever. For, for the your, class party, For the right? class party. So there's lots of ways, I think, in which um, uh, women can help themselves as well as get support from others. And then the other thing is male sponsors in the workplace. There's nothing like male mentors, senior men, who take women under their wing in a sense of, um, I'm going to make sure that you get good assignments. I'm going to make sure that um, you, you get a voice in meetings. I'm going to make sure that if you're, if you're talked over during meetings, your voice is heard. Making folks aware that you feel frustrated by those types of things mm -hmm. uh, can can go a long way towards helping yourself. So what I'm hearing is be clear and communicative. Yep. Um, what about, I mean, I've, I've been in this industry for about 25 years now. I have three children, and I know that things have definitely changed. You hit on a great point when you say, you know what, sometimes the dads are taking care of the play dates. I've even seen that over the past 15 years of being a mom that, yeah, there is definitely... Uh, a, a better division uh, between males and females when it comes to rearing the children. Um, but what about when you're in the workplace and there's that emergency or you need to leave early because it's a family-related event or thing that happens? Um, I remember not wanting to say it was family-related because somehow that would have a negative a stigma. Stigma, right. So yeah. so what's your advice there? To be honest, hey, look, the, uh, I just got called from school. My child's sick and I've got to go. And I got to go, and I'll be back online. I'm on, on, I'm on my phone, uh, and uh, I'll be back online as soon as I can, and I'll let you know the situation. I'll be out of the office an hour or two or three or whatever it takes, but, you know, text me, call me if you need me. Uh, We're connected more than ever before, absolutely. right? I so it's easier now probably than decades ago to do something and like that. And the future of work, you know, everybody talks about more mobile workers, more remote working. That connectivity means that we can work from anywhere. You don't have to be in the office. Uh, that FaceTime is not as important anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great work that you're doing with Parity Partners and great fun talking to you about the IPO market and what you see ahead. Hillary Gosher of uh, Insight Venture Partners, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.